0: Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Unpickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And today, we have a listener of the show who graciously offered to share his experience Uh, over the past six months without alcohol as a matter of fact he first wrote into the show three years ago and uh, said you know I'm listening to the show and I'm kind of interested in what what you're saying and then um, I didn't hear from him again for a while and sure enough a few years later he wrote back and said guess what I did it I'm doing it I'm living this life so the guest today is Brendan and hello Brendan thank you so much for joining us and telling us your story
1: hello Jean and hello listeners Great How to be
0: here. long Oh, we're glad to have you um so I'm in the west uh in Canada, and it is snowy here uh is it cold where you are this january yeah. day
1: yep yeah sure. so i'm in uh I'm in uh upstate new york uh western New York area and uh it is in the single digits uh, these days, and it was uh, negative five or seven or ten over the weekend. So um, it's been quite cold uh, lately, and um, but everybody's kind of hunkering down and uh, snow blowing and, and shoveling and all that fun stuff.
0: Are you a reader? Do you have a book on the go?
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I'm a reader. Um, presently, I'm reading uh, "Waking Up" by Sam Harris. And I'm reading um, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics by Dan Harris.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that title. That's fantastic. Meditations for Fidgety Skeptics. How do you like it?
1: (laughs) Uh, I like it. uh, If you're familiar with Dan Harris, he's a correspondent on uh, Good Morning America, Weekend, and maybe Nightline. He wrote the book 10% Happier which was about kind of meditation and about kind of finding oneself. Uh, He had some addiction issues as well, incidentally. Um, But he wrote that book, and he had the 10% Happier app. They did a book tour, et cetera. But um, this book is sort of a springboard. uh, It was springboarded off of the uh, book 10% Happier. So it's more about the nitty-gritty of meditation and how to do it and things of that nature. So I'm enjoying it so far.
0: Oh, that's well. It's good book reading weather this time of year. So I'm yeah, glad I asked. Absolutely. That's a great title. That just made my day. Uh, I'm going to have to look that one up. Um, so okay, well, I want to hear your story. So I'm going to ask you to dig right into us. Tell us about yourself and um, about your relationship with alcohol before, during, after uh, your turning point.
1: Sure. Well. Um... Your 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 history of of us, I guess, was a, was a good segue because yeah, in 2015, in April, uh, I had stumbled across uh, the blog at that point in time and and wrote something. I don't have in front of me, but wrote something to the effect of, I think this sobriety thing could be could be for me. Uh, it only took me three plus years after that to really solidify that stance and, and figure this whole thing out, um, but. Uh, I'm, right now I'm 40 years old I, I live in, in western New York uh, upstate New York so near Canada um, I'm in Canada quite a lot um, I uh, am married got uh, two beautiful children um, very kind of content from an employment perspective I'm a, I'm a high level government executive um, and I do uh, enjoy that work uh, immensely I went to school for that work so I did the whole uh, bachelor's and, and master's and kind of had that as a career path. Um, my, my experience with uh, this addiction, um, I did grow up in a household where neither of my parents uh, drank, um, which I know in, in some circles in some interviews that's not the case, but that's mine. I, none of my, neither of my parents drank. Both of my parents' parents drank um, heavily. Um, and perhaps that's why they did not. Um, my father now drinks a little bit, sparingly here and there. But when I grew up, certainly didn't did much at all. Um, I grew up in a community, however, that um, was very, shall we say, lax with respect to underage drinking. Um, it was just sort of embedded in the culture per se that everybody, you know, drank at an early age and kind of had that rite of passage. Um, I still remember as I was kind of jotting down some things about life before, during, and, and after alcohol, sort of the before was that I just, I kind of didn't want to get into that game, so to speak. I wasn't interested in that. Um, I was an athlete, and, you know, all I loved was doing was playing basketball and kind of hanging out and swimming and having fun. And, um, you know, gradually sort of the peers started drinking. I still wasn't. And so now fast forward probably age of 14, 15 again most of the peer group is talking about alcohol and talking about drinking and parties and at that point I think I'm still not partaking and then at some point in time I you know I had my first drink and I despise it um should have stopped there <laughs> um but I couldn't I couldn't stand the taste and I think I dumped it out and and sort of the first iterations of drinking alcohol for me were times when i was around kind of all the peers that were doing it the friends and such and i might be kind of milking one so to speak and kind of sipping it here and there and like dumping it out or you know trying to you know turn it around somebody might see me and uh, i dump it out because i didn't i didn't care for the taste um eventually though i did develop that taste for it and um, for a period of time, that you would say that's all she wrote, but uh, I did, I did develop that taste for it, and it was beer primarily. It wasn't, it was never wine, and it was very rarely uh, liquor. But that was probably 16ish, and then, um, you know, go, go, going in, it was sort of like something you hid from the from the parents, and whether they knew or or didn't know and looked away, whatever the case may be, it, you know, I never really got. Anything as far as instruction goes. I did kind of get really sick, drunk one time, and actually, you know, physically sick. And at that point in time, I quote unquote got caught, and it was, uh, you know, not a good experience. And sort of, I didn't drink a little much after that, but then right away, I kind of got back on the cycle. And at that point in time, you know, groups of friends got into, you know, harder alcohol. So it was. At that time, it was vodka and rum, and, you know, we'd have parties where there'd be a bottle of vodka and a bottle of rum, and we would drink all of those. And, and then you, and at that point, I'm going to college, and I went to a, a great college, which I had a, a wonderful experience at. It was known, however, as kind of a little bit of a party school, and that sort of fueled everything. Um, and at this point in time, I'm, you know, the 18 to 22 time frame, and, you no, know, there's a lot of blurs in that time frame where if I go back and I'm trying to recollect a, a function or a or a gathering or a party or an event, and, you know, there's lots of times where I'm struggling to try to come up with that memory because there probably was a, you know, a blackout, so to speak, at, at, during one of those intervals. So that's difficult. Um, but certainly, you know, I continue throughout that process. I You know, I drink, and we have the parties and the college stuff and the keg parties and, uh, you know, all sorts of different kinds of drinks and stuff like that. And, you know, I graduate, and then I'm on my own, and I have lots of different memories, too, of kind of getting really plastered drunk at different functions and parties. I do get married at 23. Um, I get married, and, you know, we start a family at 25. And then, as I was jotting these down, I kind of have this – this period of time, where I would say between 25ish, 26, 27, and around 30ish, where I'm not, as I recollect, I'm not drinking that heavily. Um, I don't, I don't really know why. I mean, I'm still drinking, but I'm not drinking that heavily. So I'd have a couple of functions of, of a social nature, where we'd have an alumni gathering or a gathering of friends or a Christmas party, and definitely I would tie one on, as they say. But I don't remember drinking being, you know, omnipresent or, or, you know, or beer being all over the place, like in terms of, you know, in every fridge and every crevice of every, you know, possible location in the household. I just don't remember that being the case. But nevertheless, there was that stretch of time where certainly I still was drinking. I don't recall any long stretches where I said, oh, I'm going on the – on the wagon, or whatever, um, so i did I did continue to drink and, and it definitely drinked or drank in excess for some of that stretch and then then i and there's some sort of turning point as best I can recollect it is right around that thirty ish time frame thirty two ish time frame where craft beer became a lot more all uh, well, became ubiquitous really all over the place and in every new instance or new offering there was the next best thing you had to get and uh the next offering or the the limited edition attraction of some i p a or some al or whatever and whatever it was that sort of i sort of latched on to that and i I took a liking to that, and before you knew it, I had a kegerator in my house. I had a a fridge full of all the latest and greatest craft beer, and then I still have my kind of regular go-to light beer. So at this point in time, I'm drinking a lot more. I'm probably running into the very much uh, uh, appreciated now, not then, wrath of my better half, <laughs> where um, she would be, Um, sort of lamenting one more bad episode that I would have um, where she would kind of say, hey, look, you know, you drank in in excess, you know, do you remember what happened last night kind of stuff and and I would struggle. And of course, as you know, hearing other guests, I mean, the craft beer explosion created the availability of quote-unquote good-tasting beers with much higher alcohol content. So the light beers, the Bud Lights and Miller Lights or whatever of the world that have three-ish percent, four-tops percent alcohol by volume are replaced with these heavier IPA-type beers that are sometimes seven, eight percent, and a few of those can get you real cloudy per se and just not knowing what you have going on or what day it is, and and that became sort of the lifestyle, and I, and I, I got really into that and you know beers beer was at every party i would want to know how you know where we were going if there was going to be beer there and i've heard yourself and other guests kind of talk about this either in blog entries or in, in interviews about you know making sure alcohol's there and what am i going to do if it's not there um that was me and in particular it became me on on family excursions on trips on on camping trips at the hotels uh, you know where is the beer? Where am I going to find it? How am I going to find it? You know, and that and that became just a common occurrence for me. The joke at at a camping excursion was if it was like a two or three day thing, I would make sure I'd have at least a 30 pack of of beer because it was 10 beers a day. So, and that sadly became inefficient in terms of the number necessary after some time of my excessive drinking. So it was, I had to have more than 10 beers. So if it was 10 beers, it had to be something heavier than a light beer to sort of do the trick. And then the beers became, uh, for a short time, became alcohol. I got into uh, whiskey and I got into rye whiskey. I started to drink rum a little bit, wine occasionally. But it was really just the, the beer drove it. I, I had a really good taste for beer. I, I liked it. I, I appreciated it, I guess, for lack of a better term, and um, and kind of fell into that trap. And I didn't, you know, one of the things that, that you wrote way back when that sort of helped me turn the corner was the commentary of, like, the, the, the phrase yet or not yet. I forget exactly how you, you phrased it, Gene, but it was something like, um, the DWI hasn't happened yet, I'm fine, or, you know, my, my spouse is still with me, hasn't left me, I'm still, I'm, that hasn't happened yet, I'm still okay, or in, in my case, you know, my children still love me and uh, consider me a great father because I haven't screwed that one up, quote, unquote, yet, and for me, um, you know, seeing that, having these conversations with, you know, my spouse, um, you know, a couple of times as my kids got a little older, it was... You know, I, I saw some kind of questioning there. It wasn't really direct, but it might have been indirect, and there was kind of a sense that there was a couple instances where dad might have been in the fog. Um, those weren't the words used, but that was the insinuation. Um, you know, so I definitely thought a lot about that. I will say I have some sort of angel or higher being looking out for me for the times that I've had uh, alcohol over the years and gotten behind the wheel, and I'm not proud of that, but um, honestly can share that that um that you know again it was that yet phrase it was that well I haven't gotten in a car accident yet i haven't i haven't done something terrible behind the wheel yet and you know i i couldn't continue to keep you know really looking at myself in the mirror about that so in 2015 you know for uh, going on about 4 years ago is when I started to first, I guess, look into this and say, you know, you know, what can I do? I obviously have a problem. It's a problem with my family. It's a problem with, it never really was a problem with my work per se, although I will say there was lots of times when I was hung over and I couldn't function at the highest level I needed to. And looking back, that's a big disappointment for me. Uh, but certainly that's how it was exposed. I never was like drunk at work or anything like that. And, I think if you look at your past interviewees and things and, and other resources I found, I was probably like the the functioning alcoholic or whatever you want to call it, because nobody in their right mind would think that Brendan is an alcoholic, no way, but I was, and in the background, um, which nobody saw was the struggles I had was the out you know with the you know just getting getting sick all the time you know, physically sick in terms of, you know, vomiting or whatever, headaches from alcohol. So it became just, it totally consumed me. And so at 35, 36, whatever it was, I kind of obviously was starting to take a look at it because I emailed, I emailed you and I was looking at resources. And I just, I could never really get over that hump for whatever reason, something would come back. And I mentioned sort of, kind of how I grew up and the friends I have, and they're really all good people. They're great people. They're, you know, they would kind of take the proverbial bullet for me. Um, but sort of embedded in all of, all of my real good friend relationships growing up, even from 14, 15, just how we grew up and where we grew up was always, was always alcohol. So anytime I wanted to be around the people that I love, it was around people that I love and alcohol uh, almost 100% of the time. So that was a struggle for me to um, talk about the separation of those two kind of facts, I guess, so that was a real tough one for me. so you know you now you fast forward another another whole year goes by, another year goes by during this time it is more of the same so it is it's the con- it's probably every ten days or so a blackout um, caused by drinking um some every 30-ish days probably a, a fight with of some sort with my spouse or disagreement and something to do with with alcohol whether it was you know an alcohol infused argument or it was an argument about alcohol and what it was doing to me or whatever and and that became that became apparent it was it was lots of just again just wasted nights in terms of and not knowing what was going on the next day. Just, you know, stuff when I look back on now, it's just like, you know, it really disgusts me. Um, other times when just I didn't have any <laughs> any energy or whatever to do anything because I was just so darn hungover. And, you know, I got a reputation in certain circles where it was like I was always the guy for a good time. I was always the guy that was going to stay out late. I was um, I was always going to have one more. I was going to close down the bar. I didn't want the night to end. Um, all of those sort of, you know, comments about somebody that was the quote-unquote life of the party or the big booze or whatever were, would come with would come to me or with me. Um, so that that then, you know, fast forward I guess a little bit and in, through through this time there's lots of bad events. You know, a couple of signature events I can recall uh, and rec- and I can recall was a little bit of a misnomer because some of them I can't honestly can't recall some of the facts. And you know, one is a family trip where. There was a, you know, a gathering of people at this establishment and, you know, we were all kind of having a good time and I was already, you know, three sheets to the wind and we were around doing some chants around this particular person at this function. All in good nature and they were enjoying it well. They were enjoying it as well, uh chanting somebody's name for a sports function and the next day people were kind of saying to me, you know, doing the chant and kind of having a good laugh of it and I hadn't a clue what they were talking about. There was references of the restaurant that we ate at that night, didn't have a clue what they were talking about. I was physically there, but, you know, mentally and from a perspective of, you know, I guess kind of walking consciousness or being cognizant of being there, I, I wasn't there. Um, and waking up of that morning, being like, geez, I don't remember anything of that nature, uh, was pretty troubling. So that was kind of February-ish. Um, probably about a year ago, February March of 2018. And then in April, May had an event, concert, um, as I 'll talk about later. Um, still to this day, you know we all have our triggers and you've talked a lot about your guests about kind of different triggers of what mine uh, music and of all things nostalgia, which I can go into are, are big triggers for me. Uh, because, at least for the music piece, I'm always, I am always, was always, you know, kind of getting drunk and listening to music, or, or I was getting drunk at a concert, or I was drinking with music in the background. And I love music. I have an appreciation for music. I don't play it, but I love all different kinds of music, very eclectic music taste, and it was always just surrounding me when I was drinking. So music's a big trigger. Nostalgia, I don't really know why, but whenever I get kind of, you know, uh, have some heartache of you know, oh, growing up, or some some story from my teenage years, or uh, or just uh, you know, family members, or again where I grew up, or um, you know, looking back on something or whatever. You know, I, I I keep all my mementos, I save everything, I don't throw anything out, so that's kind of my makeup. But whenever I start hearing stuff or talking things about in that realm, reminiscing etc., I don't know why, but it's a major major trigger for uh desire for alcohol and even even to this day. So that so those two things are kind of going on the whole time. I was at a music concert. This is probably now April, May ish. And I have uh I have a really bad episode. Again it's it's uh, craft beer. Uh, I'm driving, should not have been behind the wheel. Um, you know, make it home, get home and there's different things about uh what happened um, you know, afterwards in terms of, uh, you know, I woke up and I'm like, well, geez, you know, I I, I kind of thought I did this and kind of thought I did that. And sure enough, that was all true. I didn't do anything, you know, quote, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't mess anything up. I, But it was just like the, the fog. The fog was just so pronounced of what the heck happened yesterday. And the music, you know, oh, well, remember he played that song? And I'm like, man, you know, it was a great show, great artist. And I can't even remember what an uh, awesome song that I love. What it sounded like live, because I was so bombed, <laughs> and that and that stinks. Uh, so that was Mayish, Mayish I think, and then all of a sudden, I had one last kind of, you know, hurrah where, you know, there was I think it was a golf outing, something like that where, I got drunk and, you know, kept drinking again. And one of my things was never wanting the night to end. That was always one of my hallmarks of when I my drinking days was. I was, you know, I just had this thing where I didn't want the night to end. You know, I like a fear of missing out, they might call it now. I don't know. Maybe, miss, maybe I maybe had a fear that I'd miss something. Well, anyways, I would drink and drink and drink and drink, and before you know it, you're just you're really gone. So I had that, had a series of talks with my wife, who has been an unbelievable rock through this whole process to get me through, would not have been able to get through it and through this without, and continue to do it without her. Had a series of talks, and she was really kind of, you know, really, it opened her eyes, too, about what the pull was. I mean, I think she knew and she knows me, you know, as as best as anyone, but it was sort of like that she finally understood a little bit what that pull really was and that pull is. And that, you know, she did some additional research. She, I sent her to the blog. I sent her to other resources online so she could kind of figure out, you know, not, use, not, not using it as a crutch to explain away or to justify any of my actions. God, I would never do that. But it was just to say, hey, look, this is – this is what I deal with. Um, you know, I think about it every single day. I think about when my next drink is going to be. When we were at this function, this is what I was thinking of. And a lot of that stuff was sort of eye-opening. So on 30th of June, there was a party I went to. I think I had had already committed myself that this was going to be my life. I had a, a single beer at that party, which is an extreme rarity for that party host to see me have only one beer. Maybe they thought I was sick or hungover. And on the next day which was the 1st of July, um, I made the commitment to lead a life of sobriety, and I have not had a drink uh, since then. So it was six months a little bit ago, and I think in my daily journal I'm somewhere around 200. I write it down every day, and I wrote it down this morning. I just don't have it with me. I think it's like 202 or 203 days uh, sober. And um, I, 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 I talked to Jean a little bit about this before. I thought it would be... Um, Maybe beneficial if I can squeeze it in if I haven't talked too long in my initial intro. Um, when I was my first day sober, I put um, put some sort of words into writing of what I was going through. And is it okay if I just read that, Jean?
0: Please. Yeah, please read it. Okay.
1: So I called it my sobriety journal, and uh, I wrote it down uh, really for... I guess just my own sake and to share it with people that might be going through something similar. Um, so this is, this, this is called Day One, and it starts with this. Uh, the first day was horrible, pacing back and forth in the house, eating almost an entire jar of peanuts, not sure why. Uh, drank four non-alcoholic beers. Uh, I was surrounded by others drinking. They were drinking regular beer. That was tough. All day, all I thought about was drinking. Then I thought about life without drinking then it was goals, and then it turned into failure. I noticed a few positives, though. I was more lucid and not in a fog like I normally am. I was reserved. I felt I was better with the kids, less short, more involved, and actively listening to their responses to my questions, etc. cetera. Uh, I played in the pool with them. I played more with them, and I did some things I think I normally wouldn't do if I was drinking, getting drunk, or focused on alcohol. Hard to describe Excuse me, a hard-to-describe infatuation with beer permeated through me the entire day. and of course, my lifestyle is surrounded and enmeshed with alcohol, making independence from its grip all the more daunting. I got really anxious when I thought about future events: Fourth of July, summer outings, school reunion, a college reunion, a family vacation. Uh, a trip in the spring, um, things of that nature, all events associated with the boozy fun of years past and everything and everyone around me associated with drinking. I looked at my phone, I looked at my messages and the websites I go to, and a few of my threads were simply just talking about booze and, and how much booze people drank and what everyone was drinking and where. How did I get to this point? I had a long, great emotional talk with my better half. I described to her in detail the pull that alcohol is for me, the pull it has on me, and how I think about it all the time and how hard it was for me to sit on a deck, a pool deck, listening to music and not get wasted. Incredibly and painfully difficult. She's extremely supportive. She told me that I'm embarrassing when I'm wasted and more fun when I'm not. And I think that's the first time anyone probably told me that. Um, we talked about our trips and how I've had bad drinking episodes Um, I had to tell her that I had no recollection of many of those hours she described uh, zero complete blackouts so now it's summer of 2018 um, I've been forced to look more acutely at my alcoholism and the near constant thinking about drinking Um, I started this journal to detail the days ahead and I just only have I think two more days here and then I stop. so I'll just read these here Day two, I had to work today, no one in my house did, that always sucks, <laughs> but oh well, I woke up early to work out, I chose a walk run, basically the entire time I thought, life without alcohol, how hard this is going to be, I actually cried about three quarters of the way through, it's tough, I texted a former drunk turned sober friend last night, that I might have to join him on the wagon, and he replied with a very supportive, albeit short and sweet text in reply, that helped my spirits. I told my wife on day one, I think I need an outlet, maybe it's writing, maybe it's fitness, eating healthy, cooking, I don't know, but I need an outlet. Day two in the afternoon, now that was in the morning, so I felt like I had to write. Um, I got to a place where everybody was, was doing things that normally I would associate with uh, drinking and beer, uh, fishing, uh, cooking, boating. Needless to say, this was extremely rough, nearly torturous. Everyone around me was drinking and there was beer in the fridge. I was beyond restless. Um, I ordered a 30 days to sobriety book. I noticed uh, My wife noticed my attention and moodiness and sort of took it out on me. I ended up breaking down about 10 p.m. for a solid hour. We talked through a lot of things and the pain I'm going through to beat this. I was very clear that this is like withdrawal and how it feels like the worst emotional pain you can experience except worse. And it is the worst possible time of year to be quitting drinking uh, as in the summer. All I think about is times ahead where normally I get hammered and now I will be sober. It gets me super, super anxious, fearful, worried, and restless. I have to find outlets. I ran or walked three times today already. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I also kept eating, which has me concerned. Uh, Also, my nails and skin are nearly chewed off. I was always a nail biter, and I'll talk in a second how I'm not a nail biter anymore. Um, This was taken to the extreme. And then day three, uh, in the morning here I write this is the 3rd of July so you can you know around here and I'm sure likewise sometimes in Canada but around here that independence day holiday is just as as uh, a big party big booze fest big you know cooking and drinking and partying uh so day 3 the 3rd of July morning started off okay I walked for about 30 minutes me and my wife conversed a little but as soon as I got to start my work readiness routine shower change coffee to go to work I got really down and really in low spirits I started to unfortunately think of uh, today, the 4th of July, and just how pain will, painful it will be to stuck around other people with no outlets, uh, no beer for, for bring me my usual relaxation. Um, I don't want to be at work at all. Uh, I, don't have, I don't have any drive. I don't have any ambition. All I think about is this new fangled territory that I'm in. Um, I feel really bad about that, but it's also very overpowering. I can't combat it. It just consumes me and takes over. Um, I'm, at a, I'm just at a very fragile state My wife then asked me if I could try and be a little better today And not so morose I said I would try I feel bad because this is a lot to ask of her To put up with all this S-H-I-T uh, Stuff I am throwing into her and our life I feel bad about that She asked last night If this was one of the quote unquote On the wagon things I will end up just going back to drinking I said no, not this time I said I can't drink And I need this to be it Knowing my history with alcohol, she immediately understood the severity and the profoundness of that statement and seemed to get more supportive as the conversation wore on. My wife keeps saying to not look forward too distantly, but to take it one day at a time. So today, it's how do I get through today, and that's the 3rd of July. Um, I never wrote again after that. That doesn't mean I didn't have thoughts to write anymore or that I didn't need to write anymore, but I didn't write anymore in that journal after that. Um, the, thing I'll end, the thing I'll end with in this stream here is that, that book I referenced. It's not a plug. I don't, <laughs> I don't make any money on these uh, recommendations. <laughs> uh, one of um, I don't know Amazon searching whatever I got into a into a book and it's called the Thirty Days Sobriety Solution by Jack Canfield and Dave Andrews. It's day, literally day by day a different solution. So you know, one's the meditation solution, one's the reading solution, one's the outlet solution, the fitness solution, whatever whatever they are, um, I did that religiously day by day, and I didn't miss a day. And that, um, listening to these podcasts, um, following your blog, quite honestly, um, and other, a couple other minor select things um, got me through. Um, and you can kind of make out from that uh, review of what I was going through as far as I tried to put pen to paper to really clarify the situation i found myself in you can kind of get some understanding of how how difficult it was for me to do that um but but that is um that is what got me through so now you know six months goes by i I journal daily um it's one of the five minute um the five minute journal maybe i think it's called um so it's like three things that you know you're grateful for and what do you want to get done today that's something and how'd today go? Something like that. And uh every day I just jot I started jotting down one, you know, for my first day. It was two and three and four and five and now it's two hundred and three. Been to tons of functions since then and had I know there's a lot of. you've got a great blog post on the um the you know, the, the, the debate on non alcoholic beer. Um I am one of those that fall on the side of it being okay. I don't, you know, have a twelve pack, but I have a couple at a party or sparkling water at a party, um in lieu of, of, of the alcohol. And it has helped me a little bit. Um, I don't find any, you know, negative ramifications associated with me drinking it. Um I you know, I started to see a therapist a little bit who I oh I didn't mention that too the the book, your blog and, and the therapist I ended up going to were really what got me through it in terms of and plus my own wherewithal and the support of my wife. Those were the, the key catalysts for me. Getting beyond the, the the pain of of and, and the alcohol addiction, um, and then in uh, you know my my diet became better. Um, I wasn't eating fried food because I wasn't at a bar and getting drunk and having to get you know fried food. Um, so you know, like a year and a half, which obviously predates my my conversion, if you will, from alcohol life to non-alcohol life. But I've I've lost fifty pounds in that process. Oh uh, yeah, I've uh, I'm. I became uh, kind of like a vegetarian, but not like a, a militant one, <laughs> and um, sort of just changed my eating habits. I got into meditation. Um, I I try to have like an all-natural kind of a remedy to everything. So I d- did get a prescription for like an anxiety-related thing, but I chose to try to do that naturally. And I have kind of like a, a medley of some supplements that I take in lieu of that. Cause I just didn't want. I mean, that's that's for some people. It just I felt it wasn't for me and um you know i have just a just a better refreshed outlook on life and and i'm never hung over like, <laughs> it's great <laughs> um it's uh you know life is better my relationship with my wife is better i think my relationship with my kids is better i mean there's a big joke about my kids trying to you know they'll go in the aisles they'll they'll, they'll see you know uh, a display maybe for a non-alcoholic beer and they'll kind of mention something to me and and they just kind of know that that lifestyle is gone and and i think me noticing that means they noticed the old lifestyle before, and um, again, it was always that. Yet I never, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ruin my relationship with my kids. Yet why was I still drinking? Why was I still doing those bad things to my body physically and then, of course, mentally? So um, that's kind of like the shortened version of my before, during, and after.
0: You sound happy. I can hear happiness <laughs> in your voice.
1: Yes, I'm um I'm I'm a lot I'd say kind of a lot happier than than I used to be. I think I think I found myself as I would go through these cycles where it just gets, you know, so down. I mean the alcohol is a depressant and um, you know, you would get so I get so drunk and kind of the high of the being drunk and then all of a sudden not thinking one iota about the negative ramifications of that quote unquote high of the drunk. And mm-hmm. uh and it was me coming down and being and being kind of down in the doldrums and uh looking for the next beer and then kind of being high again and then coming back down and and that cycle creates unhappiness, especially in folks that are kind of predetermined to maybe some anxiety issues or whatever so I think I became you know I started meditating, and I'm not one of those kinda you know guys i don't i don't i don't have really i don't have uh, you know long hair or you know I do you wear an embroidered
0: shirt? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, I'm not one of those guys, but i am i am i have embraced it, and I mentioned the nail biting thing i mean that uh it was a simple thing i think I think about meditation a lot now and i and I think about no way if I was drinking would I be able to do this and and I think about too just the calmness that I have and the happiness- the happiness quotient uh you know is being much higher than it used to be. And I take, I take that to the lack of alcohol and sort of the power, the, the power that just, it's like, it's like a, you're, you're feeding into the power supply every single day that goes by that you don't drink. So if it's one day, two day, three day, it's awesome. Four days, four days incrementally that much better than the, the third day. And the 200th day is incrementally that much better than the 199th day. And sort of that power bank that you build When you're able to do that, just, and and again, it's like the small habits. You know, there's a lot written these days about kind of small habits like flossing and then, you know, making sure, you know, when can you journal? I can't ever journal another time. Well, do you have time to brush sheet and floss? Yeah, I do. Well, can you do it right after that? Well, I guess I could try. And all of a sudden, now I've journaled every day after I floss for like three years. And, you know, writing that down. And and just in expressing the gratitude to whoever knows, somebody. You know, sometimes you literally express it. Sometimes you just, in writing, jot it down, what well, I'm grateful for. And I find myself every fourth, fifth day, I'm putting down I'm grateful for um, sobriety. And then there's another section that says I am a or something like that. So sometimes I'll put I am a, uh, I don't know, a, a good leader or I am a great father. And I am sober comes up a lot just because it's it's a reminder that, you know, I beat this thing and others can do it too. And that's why I kind of reached out to you, Gene, to say that. um, I know when you had, I think it was Steve on, Steve's story was very powerful to me. And I think you had mentioned at the time you hadn't had a lot of male guests for whatever reason. And I I looked at Steve's story and I looked at all the other great stories you've had, male and female, and I thought I might be able to just provide another perspective on, on the challenge and, you know, if I kind of help one person out with one element of their life, and then, then it was a successful venture.
0: I really appreciate you doing that because you know, a big part of the reason why I don't have a lot of men on is because I don't know a lot of men <laughs> <laughs> that are sober, and yeah. um, and and so I I really rely on people coming forward and, and offering. And so listeners, um, guys, if there's guys out there listening and and you want to share just as Brendan has and, and as other uh, fellows that have been on the show earlier this year, please do that because, um, you know, I, I need you to come forward because I just don't know hardly any men in recovery. So I appreciate you doing that. and But I also appreciate that, that my blog and this podcast have been helpful to you You know, despite the gender differences, because underneath it all, there, there are a lot of similarities. There's some differences. You're, I have heard of that 30 day solution by Jack Canfield a number of times. And every time it's a guy who mentions it and says it works for them. Like, to me, that Ah, seems like a real, um, like, more of a masculine approach it's like Men are really In general are just much more like Task oriented and Okay tell me what to do and Give me a prescription and I will Follow it you know a behavior prescription And I'll follow sure, it Sure, sure. and I Feel like for a lot of women The approach is much more emotional and Intuition and introspection And But um, that's fine like I think there, there Should be a level of fit to how we recover like I don't think recovery needs to be a one-size-fits-all kind of thing that um even for people who are doing a program like a 12-step or smart recovery something like that even though those steps are there and those processes are there um you still get to find your own way through it and it sounds to me like for you you're at the point now that you've gotten through the physical withdrawal and Grief, I mean, you talked about a lot of crying, and I, I associate that with grief of losing our crutch, losing our friend alcohol. You've got to the point, it sounds like, where you're really enjoying this process and enjoying life without alcohol.
1: Yeah, I am, and I, and I mentioned that kind of in jest about the, the lack of hangover thing, but I mean, I think, at, you know, any time, like you have to think of the two things that I got through, you have to think of, sounds kind of schmaltzy, but you have to think of the good in, that, in anything, and all the good around you that, that is there, it doesn't need to be fueled. Doesn't, the alcohol does not need to be present in all the things that are good in your life. And just to sort of fortify the appreciation of all those good things, absent the alcohol, is, is a good exercise regardless. And it's something that got me through. But it was also, it was also just the being able to be present with myself and just kind of say, hey, you know, let's not look forward to the next thing and get all antsy about the fact that alcohol is not going to be there, just just deal with the present day. And, and, and again, it's, and I said that kind of power bank example. That's how I always felt. Like if I can just get one through one more day, it's one more day through. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, cold turkey? Oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, I can't believe you're not drinking. And how do you do it? And uh, I don't know, that kind of gave me, you know, you know, kind of like, darn it, I, I, I can do this. And I'm going to do this. And I am doing this. And you know, that and that kind of powered me through.
0: So have your friendships changed at all? Have you found that some friends have sort of faded away and new ones have come forward? Or are you still making those same connections and, and finding that you still have good um back and forth with the the friends you always had?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I have I have the I have the same core group and they haven't that hasn't really changed. I had one that was Sort of a second tier, if you will, that you know so much of the friendship was built on, you know, going out and getting drunk. That that probably that isn't that strong anymore. All the other kind of lifetime ones or really strong bonded ones remain. Um, I'd be lying to say if it, it, it's a little, it's, it's a little touch different because again, and I know, I know all, I'm not unique, and a lot of friendships are like this. But um, <laughs> I always tell people it's like. Picture all your – you you can say that all you want to, but everybody else thinks theirs is kind of different or unique. But um, I find mine was, like, as far as it, it's, um, its intertwineness of drinking, it was was your story but on steroids. So it was like it was whoever else has a story that said, oh, yeah, you know, me and my friends drink a lot. I just, I just liken it to, yes, that's true, but, like, my version was that on steroids. So it was, like, just in everything and – in every time, and in every instance, in anything that we were doing, it was always in everything we're talking about was drinking. So I think that, by its nature, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's got to be some little differences and changes. So it's always tough to be the, the sober person. Like I had to do it once or twice, right? When you're, when you're the sober person around everybody else that's drinking, you realize how, like, obnoxious everybody is, and that's how <laughs> yeah. you sound when you were drunk, right? Yeah. So now, now that I'm that person and I'm permanently that person, and, you know, that used to be hard for me to say, but I am permanently that person now. Um, it's like, wow, you guys are kind of annoying sometimes, you know, and, and, and you know, while wow, you're kind of a drunken, belligerent idiot. Um, so that that has caused a little bit of a change. I mean, the friendships are still there, but that acknowledgement and that perception, I guess, is, is that has to be there because I'm not in that booze-fueled, belligerent state that they are. So I would now I can kind of maybe appreciate it and notice it a little bit more. Um, so what do you so do then just,
0: in that situation if you if you're at a gathering and things are getting kinda of icky, what do you
1: Um I, I usually try to it does give me some discomfort. Um, I usually try to remove myself from it in some way, in some kind of casual way. Um, you know, maybe to leave a touch early, you know, move to it. I mean not everybody's like that in terms of belligerent state, so I try to find somebody that maybe is not that <laughs> Intoxicated, yeah. or taking it light that day, or that night, or whatever. So, I try to just separate myself and not make not make any confrontation. And I've never been one that's like, a, "Oh my gosh, you got to, um, you know, you got to follow my path now because I'm not a, you know, proselytizer or whatever you want to call it. I'm not someone that's going to go out and preach. I'm, I've never been that person. To each their own. So, and they, they know I'm they're not, I'm not going to be like that, but I'm also not going to be, um, you know, dismissive or or upfront confrontational or like trying to discipline them in any way, like trying to say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. I just try to remove myself from the situation nowadays, but it it does rise up every now and then.
0: You mentioned that you go to a lot of work functions and and social functions. Have you had conferences or conventions? Um, I know a lot of people say that those are the hardest things. For me, I went to my first convention for work when I was six months sober, and it was really hard because I was so out of my element. Um, have you had anything like that that you've had to go to and and have you been triggered at all in in any environments?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I, have, um, I have had probably, let's see, so July, in uh, September, October, I had a major work function, which would have been a function where uh, it was always in a different city each year, and it would be a work function that we would go to and have a core group of guys that would always go to that, and gals that would go to that work function, and it started on a Monday. That first Saturday or Sunday, when we touched down, it was let's find the craft beer place, and it was you know let's let's tie one on because we didn't have any work functionality assignments the next day. It would maybe start the day after that. So, and I was known for that again, known to be kind of life of the party. You know, where are you going? You're on the party planning committee. You know, you're the chair of it. Where are we you know where we headed today? And you know, and I'd be buying drinks for people left and right and all that fun stuff. So probably three months into it. Into my sobriety was one of those functions at a place I'd never been to, and and uh, I survived. I just kind of got through it. Um, you know, one of the things I did mention was I had I had a little bit of a I don't want to call it a crutch, and not everybody has this, but I did have. Um, and it wasn't a lie I was telling people because it's the absolute truth. It would be hard for me to say it if it was a lie. But I had had a medical diagnosis associated with my condition. And I don't know why I didn't mention this before, but um, that I had something at least awry with my liver. So when I had that, at least to be able to, because oh my gosh, you know, you're not drinking or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, I, you know, I would say things like, um, you know, alcohol wasn't doing good things for me, right? And if there was a further pry. I would at least have at the ready something to say which was truthful, and that I got to be honest made it a little bit easier to say, "Hey, look, I'm not drinking," but it was real. Talk about triggers. That environment was always sort of a a, a boozy environment, and to be in there and th- three months into sobriety was extremely difficult. Mhm, mhm. But you made it through. Yeah, but I mean, and again, it was just that little it It sounds kind of goofy, it's just those little milestones. It's just like
0: yeah. the
1: first you know the first time you can go through a conference that used to be a boost fueled conference and get through it that's a milestone that you know you're filling the power bank of you're going to be able to beat this thing. The holidays mm-hmm. as you probably can empathize with from past guest or your own experience that you know for us it would be the Thanksgiving holiday the the christmas um you know the Christmas holiday, so for us it would be getting through the uh, those are usually. The Christmas parties again. Alcohol is associated with everything, so that was my biggest struggle: was trying to. I would be getting so kind of shaky and nervous, if you want to call it that, at the thought of, oh my gosh, I have to go through the holidays and not, and not be drinking a beer, or I have to get through my birthday and not drink a beer. I got to get through St. Patrick's Day, coming up here, and and, and now I'm I'm not even thinking about that anymore.
2: Right. Um, you know, St. Yeah.
1: Patrick's Day was just a huge. I've had so many nights where I don't remember from St. Patrick's Day holiday. Gatherings and whatever. And I'm now, I'm not worried about that one iota. I'm really not. And I would tell you if I had some trepidation or fear, but I, those little tiny milestones leading up to what, what now is when we're talking in and, and, and kind of latest January, I'm, I kind of have that power and strength that I built in reserves over the last six months that I can now get through that. That's awesome. It still doesn't mean, though, like, I, I it's, it's not all what's the phrase it's not all roses and whatever you know, i'm gonna mess yeah. that one up but um, roses
0: and sunshine or something yeah
1: it's, roses and it's not all roses and sunshine i mean i had probably as, as early as i don't know maybe a 30-ish days ago i had a, a, a pretty decent episode where i'm driving home it happened to be a friday night so okay So there, there's a trigger it's friday it's happy hour I don't know what time frame people are drinking. I guess if it was thirty days ago, it was probably around Christmas, and people are drinking. How I'm driving home from work, and and uh, you know, I almost had. I think I almost had to like pull over because you know, just that it it sometimes gets you, and it might have been a music trigger, it might have been something else. So, it never it never goes away like completely, but if I didn't have the resources that I've had or the I haven't developed as a person that I have the last little bit or things like your resource and things like the book and, and one or two friends that are that are committed to a non-alcoholic life that I do have to, to, to you know, kibitz with every now and then, um, you know, that's how you get through it. But, yeah, I still have the episodes every now and then where it just it, it hits you like a ton of bricks. It's like, you know, someone said something or you listen to a music or you saw this or you listen to the podcast, all of a sudden, boom, it hits you and... Uh, but but I, I can get through those now, and and before I couldn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned your friends. Um, the friend that you reached out to, the sober friend you reached out to, have you continued that friendship? And has that been kind of a an ongoing support person for you?
1: Yeah. So um, that friend is interesting. I, I found out that I found out that friend. Um, he does drink occasionally. I, I had thought he had he had actually turned it off completely. Um, he had had a family member that uh that had a real bad problem and led to really bad problems for for both that family member's life and other people in in that person's life so he kind of took that as a trigger like I got a he was a little bit of a wild guy too he, you know, I got I got a curb it I got so he, you know and the, the thought well he's not drinking he's not drinking anymore and I had a wedding, again, another trigger point. Okay, geez, you're in a wedding, everybody's drinking. I got through that just fine. Had a, had a blast at the wedding, in fact. haven't laughed so hard in so long at some of the times at this wedding I just went to. And this guy was drinking. And I'm like, oh, wow, I guess he – but, um, you know, you make kind of some comments about, like, normies and people that can kind of do it, um, mm-hmm. you know, ha- have a drink here and there or whatever. Like, that was kind of the thing I would tell people when I said I'm giving up drinking. It's like, look, you know – Whatever the doctors say, or I know I could, whatever I wanted to say. I, I know. I look. I know I could have a beer every now and then, but that's the thing. I can't have a beer every now and then. Like mm-hmm. I, I have family members that we go to. We go to a vacation with, and they're like, they can have a beer and sip on it in, in two or three hours. I would have five, six beers in an hour, and it would be yeah. like a race. Right? I, I mean, I just. I know myself now, and that was some, one of the harder things to do. Is I got I gotta I got say I, I know myself now. I can't be the one or two beer person, the quote unquote normie. I'm not that person. Yeah. I can't be that person. So I guess you know, I, even kind of all is. these
0: years later, it doesn't one does not even appeal to me. I, I mean, there's no. I still don't get one drink. It's, sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's and, not and, even and nor, inviting. And, nor did I. You know, I, I never would. Yeah. It would always be probably at least like three, and more often than not, a couple of times that. Um, Another friend absolutely did. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, probably on the scale, was was even worse than I was in terms of volume and severity with his problem is, I don't know, a year or two into it now, and and we can kind of share. And it it remains confidential because of how and where we work. But, you know, we kind of talk, and it's like he's very – um, supportive and, and somebody I can lean on with a quick text or a quick, um, you know, sidebar conversation about you know what I'm going through, and um, and he's been extremely kind of helpful in that kind of pay it forward. Uh, I've been through this, um, you know, let me know whenever you need anything, you let me know, and that means mm-hmm. a lot. That's very yeah. helpful.
0: Yeah, I think that's worth its weight in gold. I'm also curious, Brendan, about your parents because. You said they didn't drink because they grew up with problematic alcohol use in their own lives um with their parents so did they were they worried about you when you were drinking and you know have you talked to them about that at all? are they happy that you've quit or is it is it something you talk about
1: um you know what it's 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 really not it's it's sort of it's sort of just and unwritten unspoken i have a you know i have a a great relationship with my parents, a fine relationship with my parents, but it's just not something that we really talk about um you know my my father's father from all accounts was was a was a real big you know alcoholic um and I think my mother's parents both you know drank quite a lot um but you know they you know they, they weren't like when I started drinking, it wasn't like they were opposed to, or oh my gosh, and looked down on me or whatever. But it also wasn't like with some of my other friends' parents, they were almost kind of encouraging it. Mine weren't, mine weren't encouraging it, but they weren't discouraging it. But now, where I'm at, I think they just they're kind of cognizant of the fact that. Probably for a variety of issues, I'm not, but we haven't gotten into the nitty-gritty, and that's just fine with me. The, base, the way our relationship is, it's just, it's just fine with me that we don't, we don't kind of have any grand talks about how, you know, oh, I had this terrible addiction, and I've, I've battled it all my life. And now, I, you know, we just, we just didn't feel that, at least I didn't feel the need to have that kind of grandiose conversation. And again, that's just fine with me. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. But your kids know, and your kids know yeah, yeah. you don't drink. Correct. How old are your yeah. kids?
1: Uh, they are 14 and 12.
0: So incredibly important ages for them to um, – to, to, just as they're starting to develop their social awareness and, and enter into their teenage years, how wonderful for them that you're modeling this change, that they've seen this change, and that you're kind of creating a new normal for them. Um, yeah. I think that's I look, fantastic.
1: I look at – I'm sorry to interrupt you. I look at particularly at my older my older son and 14 – you know, going on 15, and I think to myself, you know, kind of, holy shit. that was, he's nowhere near ready for alcohol. And uh, hope, you know, and, and now that I know about it, its kind of draw and, and its problems, I, you know, I, I would hope he maybe would would lead a path that I've now found. But he, that, if I'm looking at him, I'm like, holy crap, like 14, 15 years old. That was me and all my kind of friends. And it would be like looking at my son right now and having him go out with a friend and, and go, you know, pop a six-pack of beer, and I can't even fathom it. I can't even fathom right. it. And now I look at it like, oh, wow, you know, that would have been, you know, that, that was me, and that was my yeah. friends, and that was us, and we were doing it. And now it's just, man, you know, it was a problem. And uh, I hope my you know, my, my son won't go down that path. I, I just know it. And uh, it's, uh, it's hard for me to believe that that was me back when.
0: It's funny because when when we were that age, I I felt like I was an adult. I mean, I just I felt so worldly and so um, I I just felt like I was grown up. I didn't have anything more to learn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And
0: now as an adult, I look at people that age, and I just I just want to make them a sandwich and a blanket (laughs) (laughs) protect them. Um, we're just about out of time but I have one more question that I'm really curious about because I wasn't a beer drinker much at all and um as much beer as you were drinking, that is so awful on your metabolism. You talked about weight loss, but I'm also wondering if you've seen other changes like in your skin or in your hair because the yeast in beer is so hard to metabolize. And a lot of people get like, a I think it's called a candida overgrowth that, you know, they have like a overgrowth of yeast in their body from that. So have you, do you just feel better? Do you notice changes in your, oh, in your yeah, body? Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the height of my, probably, so when I said my height was probably between 32-ish and and 38-ish or whatever. In that time period, I had, um, you know, procedures done to investigate what ended up being probably severe, kind of like acid reflux and GI-type issues, um, probably... You know, fueled by the alcohol or maybe the fried food, a combination of the alcohol. You know, bad choices because you're drinking and you're drunk and you don't know what to eat. Um, but probably because of the alcohol. So, like, pop and tums and, uh, and uh, antacid stuff and always having at the ready like Pepto-Bismol and alka and everything. That is all completely, completely gone. So, um, you know, I have no, none of those kind of intestinal issues anymore. I don't have any need ever. Well, it, You know, unless I had, like, something really spicy I don't have any sort of antacid needs. I mean, literally was... Like the beer i was I have I a twelve pack of beer. I needed to know where the thumbs were, so I always had that issue um, that I don't have anymore um so physically uh, skin wise i I would say real no kind of like skin and hair, real no you know differences it was more um the weight, the health the uh the breath meaning like i, I can I'm not going to be winded like I was before I felt out of shape or whatever, so physically and definitely mentally uh, way better off uh without alcohol
0: and when you were going through those testing for your gi issues were you like honest with your doctor about how much you drank or was there a part of you that was thinking like i will do anything to fix this but i'm not quitting <laughs>
1: drinking <laughs> that's a great question cause it's like one of those like awkward conversations that you have and then you know you're like well, how you know how should this one go and you know so we had that conversation and i told the doc you know you I know I was honest with them and I I remember the I remember the kind of joke or the fun not the funness of it, but the humility and also the laughter at it when he's like, Well, uh, do you drink you know, I think of the thing, well, do you drink excessively or do you consider yourself I it's uh, kinda like, Well, what's excessive? and and I think he said something like, "Well, when you drink, you might have more than five drinks." And I like laughed. I was like, you know, "Is that all? You know, like." And then I remember talking to my friends, you know the goofballs that we were, being like, "You're not going to believe what excessive drinking is, guys. You know, where, you know, where are we on the scale? You know, like that was something to be proud of. You know, like that was a badge of honor. I look back at it, no, you're
0: overachievers. Like, yeah, right. Yeah,
1: not the kind that you want to be." Right. Um, so no, I was honest with him to a fault, and remember laughing about him telling me that that was excessive drinking. And so, um, you know, they probably said, oh, you know, you could you know cut down on that. It probably help out a little bit, but uh, but that was years ago. I mean, that it, 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 that didn't happen. I mean, it took me years, and all those physical ailments, and those um, not societal, but those kind of family troubles that resulted from all that. It took me years of that to 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 finally recognize that this is the lifestyle I have to lead, and. Um, like I said, it's, and it just becomes the, the newness of it too. You know, and that's the power bank. It's, it's the newness of it. It's the, um, you know, life without alcohol, what else can I experience? What's my passion? So now, now it's re I never read. Now I read like a book a week and now, you know, I, my fitness had, my fitness had gone off. Now I'm the lowest weight I've been since I was a junior in high school and probably the healthiest that I've ever been. And people, you know, people thought, oh my gosh, are you sick? Do you have cancer? Cause of all the weight I lost. And I tell people, "No, I kind of turned the corner on my health, and and this is sort of the new me." And That's fantastic. Uh, and I love it. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, I can hear that in your voice. Well, I'm so happy for you, for your wife, your family. Um, just, I mean, you just your story is just proof that life gets better when we when we take alcohol out. And at the time we quit drinking, we feel so sad. We think life is going to be worse. It's going to be we're going to be sad forever and unhappy forever. And I'm so grateful that you shared your story and that we can just hear in your voice, just the joy and the the wholehearted um, approach to life that you're taking. It's really, it's, it's, it's really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing your story, um, Brendan.
1: Well, thank you. And, and, and thank you for all the work that you do. And, and I know it means a lot for all of us kind of in the uh, recovery community and, um, and you know, you were one of the reasons why I kind of went down this path. As you know, people, the success stories, and I think you had photographic evidence before and after alcohol, and you know, uh, trips before and after alcohol, and all these posts that you had that were that were inspiring on our end too, or my end as well. So, um, you know, that really helped. And I, you're doing a great service, and I'm just happy to be a small part in one of these these podcasts.
0: Oh, thank you so much. It means a lot to me to know that that it's helpful. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sure you'll be getting feedback from this episode as well, that, that it's helping others. In fact, I'll invite listeners. If you do want to, um, express any feedback to Brendan and, you know, send your gratitude to him for sharing his story. You can email it to me, the bubble hour at gmail.com. And I will forward it on to Brendan. And, um, before I let you go, do you just have any words of encouragement, Brendan, for anyone who's in their early days or having a bad day, or thinking about quitting drinking?
1: Yeah, uh, probably not anything that's so novel and unique that, that maybe they haven't heard before, but I guess the, novel, uh, the novelty or the uniqueness is that it was me and my experience. So all of the, the one-day-at-a-time adages, they're absolutely 100% true. Uh, you know, do not look – you know, th- think of the, oh, my gosh, I can't drink. Think about all the positive things that you can do. So focus on the positives. Focus on all the good in your life. You know, don't get in that situation of yet. You know, you don't want to have that DWI or that second DWI or that family fight or that big problem. Um, It can be, if it can be achieved by people like me and like Steve and like all these other guests that you've had, it can be sobriety, meaning it can be achieved by by you or by anyone. And the resources I had that happened to work for me, that book was a blessing, your podcast and your blog. That was a blessing. Um, other resources online um, were blessings. And fitness, you know, fi- finding an outlet, too, I think is just one last thing to share, is like finding some other outlet, whether it be reading, whether it be and try to be laser-focused, try to be a positively addicted to something that can maybe replace what your negative addiction was. And that was very helpful. Mine was walking or running, and that was extremely helpful for me. Um, so, you know, there's lots of resources available out there, and um, you can do it, the whole one day at a time thing. Don't look into the future. It's just one day, and then kind of fill that power bank for your uh, sober future.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. I love your power bank analogy. I'm going to write that <laughs> down and and uh, remember that one. That's a great way to look at things. So thank you so much, Brendan. I really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you for – Being such a big part of this show I mean you listen that's why we're here It'd be no fun for me to do this If no one ever listened to it Um, And just now that you're done talking Brendan I'll tell you that we have between 50 and 80,000 downloads of this show Per month so um, worldwide I mean it's just amazing to me the number of people that that are listening and that are reaching out and a huge thanks to every listener that writes in and especially to those past, present and future who offer to be on the show I really really appreciate it so that wraps up another Bubble Hour everyone thank you so much for listening and until next time take good care
2: own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take that. a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be.